call is being recorded. Hi, welcome to the Parker Talbot Show, and I'm here with uh, friend Brett Nielsen. Uh, how are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I am doing good. Uh, so I know Brett through him and I were graduated 2011, I believe. I can't remember. Did you graduate 2011 or 2010? I was 2012, actually. Oh, oh, I didn't know. Okay, okay. So it's, yeah. been, it's been like 10 years since Brad and I have kept talk. And, uh, <laughs> but um, we grew up together in Utah since then. I'm living in Pensacola, Florida now. Where are, you, where are you living now, Beth? Things are going really well, yeah. Yeah, Are you there? Oh, sorry. Are you there? Yeah. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. It just broke up there. Oh, you're good. You're good. So, uh, yeah. So, where are you living nowadays? So, I'm actually living in Chicago now. Um, I've been in Chicago, gosh, probably a little bit over a year. I moved December 2019, and before that, I was in Philadelphia for about okay. three and a half, four years. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's awesome. I, I I have not been to Philadelphia or Chicago, but I am a Cubs fan, so that's my only. If I have any uh, link to Chicago, that's it. But um, yeah. But that's great. Do, do you enjoy the big city life? Then we grew up in the in the suburbs, but uh, because yeah. you grew up in Chicago, would you say you're a big city guy? Yeah, I mean it's a pretty stark contrast compared to like Utah, right? Because I think you're from the same city that I am in Utah. Is that correct? Like the bourbon, the burbs of Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, yeah, so moving to Philly, because I was up in Logan, Utah, when I was at Utah State University, and I was such a small city. Um, yeah. So when I was going to grad school, and I was looking at which grad school I wanted to go to, you know, one of the things was, like, I have to be a city, right? Like, I can't do a small town anymore. <laughs> Even suburbia right. isn't, it's not for me. And so I went yeah. to Philly um, for grad school, and I just loved the city life. You know what I mean? Like, in the East Coast have a very specific culture, I think. You know, um, especially in Philly, people tend to be, like, in rushes all the time. I remember, like, you don't really talk to the grocery store clerk. Like, you don't talk <laughs> to anyone. Um, and I remember when I moved here to Chicago – because uh, I was thinking about moving, and I was like, I, I have to still live in a city. You know, it's like Boston, New York, D.C., or Chicago. I chose Chicago, and I moved here. And I remember I was sitting at the bus stop, and someone was just like, yeah, it's a nice day. And, like, it was so shocking to me that a stranger was talking. <laughs> like, this is just something that I was like, oh, my God, that's right. People talk to each other um, outside of the East Coast. Oh, like, there's definitely some, like, culture shock um, between the cities. But, yeah, like, one of the things I found out that's pretty important to me is just this vibrance and this livelihood, you know, especially being a gay man. That's where the culture is. You know what I mean? That it's like I have to be close. Just, like, culturally, right now I live – funny that you should say you like the Cubs. I actually live really close to Wrigley Field. Um, oh, okay. Which is oddly enough, right next to like we call it Boys Town, but it's 
the gayborhood. It's where like all the gay cultural things are. And so it's just okay. important that I need to like be here in this area, which is really accessible in the city. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Man. Well, that's, no, that's awesome. And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I've never been to either Chicago or Philadelphia, but, um, you know, my sister, she loves, she lives in Utah, but she loves New York. She goes there all the time for work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, when you say, when you say culture shock, I can imagine, I, I, uh, I think, yeah. yeah, Salt Lake is, um, I've heard many people refer to it as Small Lake City instead of Salt Lake City. Cause it's just, <laughs> yeah. You think you're in a big city, but apparently you're not when you get out of Salt Lake City. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's a very, it's a, it's a, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine, like I said, I haven't been to Chicago, New York, or other places, but uh, yeah, I think... It is. It's a. There's a definite culture in Salt Lake, and uh, yeah. I'd imagine it's definitely not not everyone's bag, and that's understandable. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So, but um, yeah. Well, from my understanding, now did you go to Philadelphia for you said for grad school? So where did you where did you go to to school at? Sure. Yeah. Um, I went for my master's degree. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, Alice Philly. Um, it was a really great school. You know, when an Ivy League school grants you admission, you essentially yeah. just have to move your entire life there, right? Um, Absolutely. You can't really say no to it. Um, I moved. I was at Penn for about a year. My grad my grad program was about a year, and I got my master's degree in social work. Um. And yeah, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed my education. I think in the terms of social work, I mean, I was training to be a therapist as a clinician, and that was something that I, I really wanted to do. But um, Penn had a really good program focused on social justice, and so we were always talking about racial inequality, sexual oh, inequality. I remember one, um, what was it? The Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah, came to Philadelphia because the Democratic National Convention, this was in 2016 when Hillary was running, and the DNC was in Philly. So the Westboro Baptist Church came to protest, and just for class, like our assignment was to go to a protest. And I was like, this is great. Um, I can get an A (laughs) in this class, not a problem. Um, So it was a lot of fun. I actually really loved my grad program. I got a great education there. Um, the curriculum, I think, was really great. Um, I mean, a, a year in grad school to train as a therapist isn't a long time at all. I felt somewhat unprepared to enter the workforce. But, I mean, yeah. overall, um, it, it really was a great program. I really I really valued the education I got there. Absolutely. Well, and I, man, yeah, that to me, I, yeah, I knew, I knew Penn was a uh, an IDD school. So I, I I'd imagine I'd hope the education is great and uh, it sounds like it. it I was. paid a lot for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be paying know, for I, the rest of my life for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've noticed I'm I'm right now getting my master's right now. Uh, it's online. This Arizona State, and I got to tell you, mm. you know, education is expensive, but but even if you don't end up using it in your career, I'm a history major, so. You know, mm-hmm. I hope to use that in that career. But if I, if I don't, you know, it's one of those humanities, right? I feel like just yeah. the just the return value that education puts on your character as a person yeah. is worth any amount of money that you end up pumping out there, you know? 
Oh my god. That's my yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was like just expanding your mind. I mean, I just learned so much. Whether it was at Utah State or um Penn. But yeah. I really just I mean it just helped me grow as a person, right? Um Absolutely. Yeah, I really my professors really helped shape who I am. And you know, I I wouldn't have gotten there without the faculty there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's it's Oh, sorry, go ahead. Did I, did I cut you off? Oh, no no, no, you're good. Okay. Yeah, what's been so neat for me because you know, as a history major, I'm learning about you know, all sorts of different parts of the world and the different inequalities and stuff that are out there. Um, and then my, my wife is a, a special education major, and she's done her student teaching this semester. And um, all of her student teaching experiences have, you know, they were in Florida, and uh, they've been in, in very poor schools and very poor neighborhoods. Um, and I'll tell you, it's been a wonderful thing for me to watch because it's been such an eye-opener because, yeah. you know, you, you and I grew up in South Jordan. It's a very affluent uh, area, a, a yeah. predominantly white community. And yeah. just blowing my mind that I don't think I realize at least the racial disparity there is um, yeah. until moving here to Pensacola and my wife in these poorer neighborhoods that are economically and racially completely different demographics than our yeah. than, 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 than the end of town that I live in. And it just, it's been so eye-opening to realize, man, like in Utah, you, you hear these things, but you're like, well, we learned the civil rights movement, things are good. But then you come here and you see yeah. these disparities, and you're like, huh, I, I don't think so. Something, things are still amiss. Something's amiss, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not as visible in Utah. And then you leave, and, you know, I, I think there's a reason why it's not as visible in Utah. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to live in Utah, right, if you're not part of the majority. Um, yeah, I think once you move out, the world is really, really expands and everything is like, oh, yeah, like, I, I can see this. And I think as white people, we still have to, like, broaden our minds. I think we always have to unravel those unconscious biases that we have. Um, yeah. But getting out of Utah really helps with that, I think. I think so. You know, and, and the thing is, is, like, you know, looking back now, you know, I think um, – there's certainly still a lot of things that I, I personally like about about Utah, but I feel like yeah. personally I've learned that if you if you live somewhere, it's always good, always good to live somewhere else, even if you end up not liking the other place you live at. You just you've got to like to stay in one place your entire life. And no dig to anyone listening who has, but it is just you know it is an eye opener to move anywhere else mm-hmm. outside of your your purview. Um, yeah, I I yeah. I definitely grown and learned stuff about myself every place that I moved to. Whether that was from like South Jordan or to Logan, Logan to Philly or Philly to Chicago, but you're like, okay, like it challenges you. You learn. It's like everything is just so different when you move it. You're like, this is great. It really yeah. expands your thinking because every region is just different. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I I do have to ask you some of your experience there at Penn. Um, you know, I um, I've never experienced the uh, being next to or or going to a protest uh, from Westboro Baptist. But I've seen footage, and it just horrifies me, to be honest. What was it like 
I'm curious, what was it like being a gay man going to a Westboro protest? I mean, I think, you know, it's, I, I, I don't, it doesn't get any more too extreme than that. What, what, sure. was, what was that experience like? You know, it was actually great. And I think one reason, because they were protesting what's called the Mazzoni Center. And the Mazzoni Center is a really great LGBTQ help organization that focuses a lot on LGBTQ help and trans help. Um, it's just like widening, widening all these disparities. And so since it's focused on, they were, I think the clinic that they were protesting was the trans clinic, trans help. And so, I mean, there was only, like, maybe four people from the Westboro Baptist Church who were there. And okay. the Mazzoni Center did a really great job at um, organizing it. I, I'm trying to think what they called it. Like, I think it was a wall of love because what we were doing is we kind of created a wall between the protest and us. And so all the uh, trans individuals who needed to access their help didn't have to see the Westboro Baptist Church. And really, while, while they were trying to protest, we were just kind of having a good party, to be completely honest. <laughs> uh, we were having a great time. Like, it was a really great energy um, because we were just trying to combat just, you know, this egregious hate that was targeted towards people. Um, and we certainly outnumbered that. I think the street was closed down. We were all partying. It, we all had our signs. We had our flags. It was, oh my God, it was a really fun time. Awesome, awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad it's a, a good experience because I feel like I don't know. I feel like that would be, you know, I, I, as as a to me, and I don't as, as a straight person attend. I don't know if I'd want to attend a Westboro Baptist. Uh, uh, mm protest let alone as a as a, a gay person so i'm i'm glad that it ended up being a very it sounds like a positive experience so oh yeah it was a little good well i mean i was called a terrorist a couple times when i lived in utah because oh, i did a lot i didn't do a lot of protesting in utah but i i organized some marches um especially up in logan so i think for this i was like this is easy like i don't have to work i can just show up and have a good time right Oh, right. Yeah, I think it was worse in Utah than it was even at the Westboro Baptist Church. Really? Oh man, I, and I'm sorry to hear that. Like I said, I, I, yeah. you know, I, uh, I love my, I love my home state, but there's, there's just, this, I'll say, I, I call them cultural caveats, is what I call them, and there's definitely yeah. cultural caveats in, in, in going on sometimes. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I think as social but, workers, if we get called terrorists, I think that means we're doing our job correctly, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. 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 So, um, so on the, so on the note being a social worker, yeah. So has it, um, what has a, I guess, I, I feel like that'd be a really rewarding job. And I'm assuming, you know, you said you always wanted to go into that. Do you feel like you're? Uh, yeah. Do you feel like you're living the dream then? I feel like I'm on my way, right? Oh. Right. I think my dream has kind of shifted and morphed. You know, like um, I was a community organizer back in Utah. That's kind of what my focus was. Went to grad school. Um, and got trained as a therapist. And you know, I was like, I, I did that intentionally. I was like, I think 
the clinical route is what I want to do, right? And then, yeah. I mean, I worked in, as a substance use counselor, then I worked in sex addiction, um, and kind of doing all of that. One thing that was pretty clear was working with trauma and PTSD, right? Um, and right. I think whenever you work with the LGBTQ community, invariably you're working as a trauma therapist. Um, and so it was just always something that interested me, you know, for a number of reasons. Um, and so then it, I think that just kind of geared me to become a trauma therapist. And I was working my last job before the – I own a private practice now. Um, I uh -huh. mostly treat PTSD and grief and loss. Um, before I started my own practice, I was working down on the south side of Chicago with the gang violence. I was working with kids and teens who had a family member who was murdered, um, which wow. is really interesting because I was like, I will never work in grief and loss. Like, absolutely not. It's too sad. <laughs> I don't yeah. do well. I, I haven't watched the last episode, or the, not even the last episode, the last season of Shit's Creek because I can't accept that it's over. Like, that's how loss-inversive <laughs> I am, right? Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I got this job. It was great. It was, you know, combating violence and trauma, which is, like, something that, of course, I'm really, really passionate about. Right. Um, and added this layer of grief and loss work that was just really, really powerful, right? And the combination of traumatic grief, it, it, it's really complex, Um but it's a really interesting clinical presentation that I was like, I really kind of like working in this, oddly enough. I never thought I would like working with grief and loss. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, and I guess I really came to the realization that when we're treating PTSD and trauma, invariably loss comes up, right? Right. Um, and so when I was, you know, thinking about starting a private practice and when I was kind of with COVID, I was kind of forced to, kickstart my dream of starting a private practice um you know i don't think 2020 went a way that anyone wanted it to right <laughs> um Absolutely. so i was kind of forced to start a private practice which was great I, you know i think it was a great move for me but i was like yeah i think you know most of my clients are ptsd and grief and that's kind of where i wanted the direction of my career to go. Um, so I'm really, I'm really happy with it. And I'm, it was really interesting how it evolved over time. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I am really happy with where I am. And I think there's a lot of progress still to be had. You know what I mean? Like, I think with the clinical world and therapy, it's one of those jobs that you just get better at as time goes on, you know, the more you do it. And you're always learning, especially in trauma, where our kind of knowledge is in the infancy of treating trauma. Right. We have a good grasp on it, but um, we know how to treat it. But, I mean, we're still learning stuff about it. So it's it's just one of these fields that's, like, ever-expanding, and we're always learning more. Um, so, you know, I'm really excited to see what kind of happens with all of this. Um, but I'm happy with where I'm at right now, you know, in a, in a mindful way, in the present Currently, right. I'm 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 happy with where things are at. Awesome, awesome, and that's good. That's good. I feel like to me, that's one of the hardest balances. That's like to find in life is there's somewhere you want to be, and it's so easy yeah. to be. Like, oh, I want to be here and not be happy really where you're at, and then you end up really never enjoying anything until you get there. <laughs> but I don't know if we really yeah. understand what there is. You know what I mean? Like what what's going to constitute being there? So I think that's a great outlook. You know. 
Well, and I don't know about you, but it's like for me, like I used to have this great plan of my life and I'm like, this is what's going to happen. And then I never saw myself in Chicago. I never saw myself in Philly, but it was just like at some point you just have to kind of be vulnerable to life of like wherever life takes me. Like I have some direction. I have control, right? Like that's important. Right. To some degree, whatever happens, happens. And that's a little bit out of my control and just kind of surrendering to that vulnerability of, this is where this is where I am and this is where I may or may not be. You know, I have some like goals, but there's not a lot of rigidity around it that I can just kind of be vulnerable, right? And I think that took me a while to get used to and I'm still working on because I got some control issues, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. When I, I I hear you about I start out control and all that because um I think so I myself, I have OCD, and that's, you know, that's, uh, mm-hmm. and I feel like yeah. one of the crutches of OCD is you, you feel like a lot of your compulsions are in order to control or prevent yeah. certain obsessions from, from happening. So yeah. it's, a, it's a hard place to be in, to just realize life is life, and it's not predictable. It's not always black and white, and there's a lot of gray, and there's a lot of, this may happen, yeah. this may not happen. I don't know, but... You know, which is scary, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you're like I don't. Yeah, um, it's a really interesting place to be, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think you know, my my wife and I both have OCD, and we we catch ourselves. Hmm. We both got you know help for actually that's where we met was a group therapy. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but that's great. I think that yeah yeah, and I think that that kind of we have to how it's scary and we have to like tell ourselves the moment we start like saying all the what if what yeah. if that's where we say wait a minute i think this is i think this is ocd talking more than reality talking yeah we start worrying about all the what if questions because that's life yeah you know so life is hard and it's scary and it's like i think the the hard thing about ocd i think is like you do want an element of control right Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I can understand why it happens, right? I can understand why, you know, you're like, okay, that that makes a lot of sense. It's causing problems in your life, but it's also, like, kind of sensical. It, it, it's a really, it's a delicate balance, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's this, yeah, yeah, it's this, it's this weird thing because I think OCD can be, yeah, it's just trying to find a balance between two extremes because the one extreme is yeah. all these compulsions where you're almost over logical about life. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, like, you have to have some element of control in life, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. So figure out where that's at. So, um, but yeah, I, so you're in the, you know, like I said, you're in the, the, the social work field. And every time I've, I've interviewed someone else who was going to school to be a psychiatrist. Uh, um, uh-huh. And so whenever I interview someone in the medical field, uh, I, I have to ask because I just think, it's a problem that probably 10 years ago I wouldn't think existed. But um, so I work, I work for United Health. So I look up a lot of provider sites because um, I work in fraud and, and verify providers. And there's a couple sites I've seen where like on their front page, it will say something like Google can't diagnose your problem. And so I, whenever I talk sure. to them in the medical field, I have to ask, do you feel like the internet is more of a help or a hindrance? Because for me, I feel like I learned about OCD kind of through research before mm-hmm. actually going to counseling for it. But at the same time, yeah. you can also find yourself in the internet rabbit hole of Googling all these yeah. symptoms. And before you know it, 
you know, nine times out of 10, the internet tells you you have cancer and you're like, well, I, I, I don't think I do. Yeah. So what, what is that balance? And do you think that's a help or hindrance as a provider in the medical field? You know, I think it's good and bad. You know what I mean? I think there's quality of both. Um, I mean, you're like you said, it can be really helpful when you like Google something and you're like, wait, I identify with that. Like that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, do I have OCD, right? And without that knowledge, you may just continue thinking that this is just normal and this is life and, you know, you just have to live with this distress. You know, at the same time, it can be a little compulsion to compulsively search the internet, right? And just kind of like figure out what the answers are. Um, So I think it's good and bad. You know, I think I have this conversation a lot of, of course, as it relates to social media of like, is this good and bad and good or bad? And I think it's depending on how you use it, right? And how you feel when you're using it of, again, does this feel a little compulsion? Do I feel like I have to start Googling or is this, you know, calibrating a lot of fear in me um, as you're going down these rabbit holes and just Mm. trying to find answers, right? Um, Right. I think it has been helpful um, in terms of, you know, again, I I mostly treat trauma. Um, So I think it has been helpful for trauma survivors because, they can Google something and be like, that's what a flashback is. Oh, my God. Like, that makes sense. I'm not alone. And it has right. a quality to connect people to each other. Um, and just to put, uh, like, a name to a behavior, a name to a thought, um, which is really helpful for trauma survivors because they tend to dissociate. Um, and so sometimes there's just not language to put towards these atrocities, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, again, depending on how you're using it and when you're using it and the motivation behind it, um, it could be good or bad, right? So, I guess I didn't answer your question, which therapists yeah. never answer questions, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> no, I think that's a good thing, though. They, I think therapists are very, here's the tools, figure it out yourself. I, that's how my therapist yeah. is. I, I, I think that's the way to go. Um, yeah. I love your answer there. I, uh, I love, I, I never saw it that way. You said, how do you feel when you're using it? Because I think that's a lot, at least social media world, I think that's a lot of what's happening right now. If someone's feeling angry yeah. about something, and they take this almost scholastic approach where they already have in mind what the conclusion is, and now I'm going to scour the Internet to find out everything I can to get to this conclusion. And we're yeah. seeing that play out in very scary ways <laughs> right now. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, is this is this feeding the anxiety? Is this, um, like, I have to know the answer right now, and, you know, rather than being vulnerable to the emotions, right? And I think emotional tolerance is difficult for anyone and everyone. And so as a way to kind of bypass these really intense emotions, people might gravitate more towards the Internet um, to find answers or, you know, to numb out or, you know, a whole slew of things, Um so, I mean, that, that's when it's like, okay, again, what's the function behind this behavior and is it serving you? Like, I can understand why someone would do that, but is it, is it causing problems in your life? Are you avoiding emotions, things like that, right? Absolutely. 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 It's, uh, yeah, I think it's ultimately bringing, I think, the, the key, at least for me, I think this is OCD relation, that's the best thing I can relate to. And, and for me, it's a matter mm-hmm. of looking at things, bring, bringing yourself into a rational state of mind, and then making your decision yeah. from there. And I think too often we're at this tense, hyper-focus, 
oh no state of mind and uh i mean we yeah. just don't make good decisions <laughs> kind of and being yeah. okay with the idea that what you think and feel might not be the actual answer but i think once you're okay yeah. with that then you can really rationally say oh i actually really do feel this way or you can say actually yeah. I, I don't so yeah so. i mean i don't know what kind of ocd you have but some of my clients with ocd is that some of this is really catastrophic, some of these thinking, some of this thinking, right? And so I can mm-hmm. understand if this is catastrophic thinking, like I will not be okay. You know, that threatens survival. Yeah. And so it's almost mm-hmm. like the survival mechanism of like I need I need to figure out what's going on because I feel like something bad is really going to happen. And that's a terrifying place to be. It is. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. It is. So, it, yeah, I think, yeah. And I, I um, yeah. It's last thing I'll say about the internet is I feel like I've seen as of late. I think a lot of internet things serve to um, assign meanings to feeling rather than vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be dangerous. Where yeah. I feel angry, therefore this is true, rather than this happened, therefore this is how I feel. And uh, I yeah. think we're in a lot of that. So um, yeah, but. Last thing, I guess we're about to wrap up here, but last question I'll ask, I think it's a very good question in today's society here. Sorry about that. Is, um, so, you know, we are living, I think, and I would feel like one of the most polarized times yeah. I've, I've, I've experienced. I mean, it, it, it avoids everything. And I think what's the best thing we can do as people to – even if we feel differently than another person about a certain issue or topic or whatever, what's, I guess, the best thing we can do to still uh, create a harmonious, you know what I mean? To to create a more harmonious society that's okay with differences rather than I think the current rhetoric right now is either you feel this way or you feel that way to the camp, to the side, and feel differently than me, yeah. than be you know, and I, and I hate that, but I think that's where we're going, I think, unfortunately. So what's the thing we can do as yeah. people to, and maybe from a therapeutic standpoint, or from whatever standpoint you want to choose, but I, I think what's the thing we can do to really, you know, bring sure. back some harmony into our society, even if we feel differently than other people about various yeah. things. So, you know, admittedly, I come from the trauma world from a very feminist perspective. Um, And trauma therapists like me tend to be pretty polarized. And so I would imagine another clinician would say something very different than I would. And that's fine, right? right? Um, This is how I treat trauma, and this this is the paradigm that I operate off of. But, you know, I think what's going on in our society is, structural violence right we're seeing symbolic and structural violence which wouldn't then you know goes all the way down to behavioral violence you know while i'm thinking that you know some people don't agree with black lives matter right or love is love and all of these really polarizing topics um i come from the standpoint that we kind of do have to take a side because if we don't then we're enabling this again the structural and symbolic violence and so i take the side of we need to take the side um, but then again, there's always the line between conflict and consensus, right? And when we're looking at, you know, protesting or community organizing, one of the very first things that we look at is do we, where are we erring on the side? Are we going to be more conflict or are we going to be consensus? When we're going more towards the consensus side, people don't get as defensive. We can have more constructive conversations. 
But, you know, not a lot of social change happens when we're on that consensus side. We do need some of that conflict, right? Right. And so it, it's hard because it's really, again, what what are we trying to accomplish and how many players are we trying to mobilize right now? Because do we have people who can speak on the consensus side um, and kind of tolerate that and do more negotiations without people getting pretty defensive? Or do we err on the conflict side? So unfortunately, you know, I don't think I have good answers in the sense that, like, we should, you know, all just get along and love each other because I think that we do, in, in terms of trauma, we do have to take a side. You know, trauma, clinical trauma treatment, well, the way I was trained, prescribes mm-hmm. that we don't have moral neutrality. We do not have neutrality when we work with survivors because survivors need us to take a side, and we take the side of the survivor, right? Right. Um, which is probably pretty different than other types of mental health treatment. And again, I would imagine another trauma therapist would say differently than I do, but that's how I was trained, and I, that works for me and my clients, but they need me to take a side. Um, and when you take a side, um, people will disagree with you. And you know what? That's okay. Um, we're pretty firm and uh, resolute in our decisions and our opinions around it. Um, in terms of, like, again, all the social unrest, I think, you know, if you look into what structural violence is and the way violence plays out in society, we have the data, I think empirical data, to suggest that we do need to take a side and, you know, we can't, some, we can't afford to be on the consensus side all the time because people die. I mean, that's, that's the reality. Right. So I think it's, you know, I don't know if I have a, a very good answer of how to kind of reconcile all of that, um, because I do think it's important to have some of this conflict. I, I don't think conflict is a bad thing, because that conflict is kind of what promotes social change, which needs to happen, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Well, yeah, man, that's a that's a good... <laughs> I think that's a good thing for me to chew on. I hope that's a good thing for our listeners to chew on. Yeah, I it's one of those things. Yeah, I'm not good. one of those like touchy feely people. I think again, I, I think it was just because I was trained that way. Um, yeah, I was like conflict's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a that's a that's a you know, in in a way, I think that's a healthy way to think. I think a lot of the times because. I, I'll admit I'm the type where when I see conflict, I'm like ah, and I run. And sometimes yeah, that, that's that's not, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's a yeah, that's a nugget to chew on. Maybe well, because Brett, I was trained in Philly that we're like conflict. Sorry, what was that? Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just trained in Philly, and there's a lot of conflict in Philly, so you got used to it real quick, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but in either case, I I, I do like that that concept of consensus versus conflict, and you know sometimes you yeah. have to stand more with one than the other. I so that's. Yeah. La- I guess last thing I'll close on it reminds me of, I can't remember who said it, but in the American Revolution, there was a, a quote where, um, and I'm totally paraphrasing, probably butchering it, but some of the lines of, every, you know, he said, every now and then the tree of liberty needs to be stained with the blood of um, yeah. patriots and tyrants. And it's like, huh, it's interesting. Yeah. So and that's what that makes me yeah. think of at the end of the day. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. well, it has been, it's been wonderful uh, talking to you. I think you bring up, a fresh perspective that we haven't had on the show yet. I mean, granted, in, in, I think in my fourth episode, but still, it's been it's been wonderful, and I appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, for our listeners out there, it. of course. 
of course. And, and for our listeners out there, um, this is Brett Nielsen, licensed clinical social worker. If uh, you yourself would want to be interviewed or someone who may want to be interviewed, feel free to uh, uh, contact me at the email, the Parker Talbot show at gmail.com. And uh, this uh, podcast will, of course, be uh, posted to um, multiple uh, major podcast platforms as well as on Facebook. So thank you for listening in. And thank you again, Brett. Thanks. Bye. Bye.